if I'm meta, right, and I and I need to go and abide by this Florida law, what I would end up doing to protect myself to be in compliance is I would basically require a hard, uh, basically, identifier of an individual to confirm that they are who they say they are. So if it was an adult, it's a driver's license. If it's a kid, because most kids don't have a driver's license or even a learner's permit until they're at least 15 years old on average, uh, that means that you have to go with something that's even more sensitive, like your social security number. Hi, Joyful Warriors. Tiffany Justice here with the Joyful Warrior podcast, Moms for Liberty. And we're going to be tackling an interesting subject today. Uh, Recently in Florida, there was a bill that was proposed in the House and has gone through the House and is now in the Senate being discussed uh, in the Florida Senate. And it's a bill that says that children uh, 16 and under would not be allowed uh, to be on social media. In fact, you guys know we talk about banning, right? Everybody wants to talk about banning. It would actually ban kids from being on social media, 16 and under. Now, this bill doesn't have a provision for uh, parents' rights. It doesn't give an opportunity right now as it, as it currently sits for parents to be able to override that. And so um, I'm going to be approaching this subject from a couple different directions. I think uh, one of the things that hopefully we'll discuss um, at some point is you know, the effects of social media on kids. Um, We have a dad with us today who is concerned about parental rights when it comes to this issue. And so I think there are a couple different things, directions we can go uh, with this conversation uh, about uh, kids' access to social media. And we're going to talk to a dad first about that, Greg Aguirre, who wrote a, uh, an article recently in the Sun Sentinel. And Greg, welcome to the Joyful Warrior podcast. Tell us, uh, HB1, this is a speaker's bill, top priority in the Florida House uh, 2024. Tell us a little bit about why you're concerned uh, about this proposed social media bill, ban, excuse me. Absolutely. Thank you, Tiffany, for having me. Well, my concern is, is uh, there are a lot of concerns. So let me start with the parental rights concern. I think personally, as a father, I have an eight-year-old daughter myself, which is going to be approaching very soon the age of wanting to be on social media. Um, I definitely want to, you know, uh, a protector from social media, but I think it should be us. It should be myself and my wife that decides that uh, decision, not the state. I think that we are better parents to our daughter than the state would be. Um, uh, On top of that, there are a couple of other issues as well. I mean, you're you're gonna create a situation where I think some of the language. I'm not an expert in the bill. Let's stop, but right, I do let's, let's stop right there for a second. So your first point about parental rights, you shared with me uh, that you moved here um, from New York uh, down to Florida, yep. and 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 so tell me a little bit about you know you're a parent. Why did you choose to move to Florida? Well, one of the reasons why I chose to move to Florida is because of the new motto that we have, right? Uh, the, the freedom, free state of Florida. Uh, it's because there's a lot more freedoms. Um, I come from a, a city, a state and a city, New York City. I remember back in 2012 and 13 where, you know, a mayor, Bloomberg, was trying to ban soda drinks, you know, big gulps. Um, and the, the the way around that was to instead of buy one big gulp, you could just buy two small ones. <laughs> so, I mean, there were, there were ways around it. Um, and, of course, it didn't have anything to do with parents, but it had to do with banning something just all across the board. This is even worse. This is just taking away the... The opportunity of us being a parent, making the decisions and consenting. What if my daughter has entrepreneurial aspirations, for example, and she shows responsibility, she shows entrepreneurial spirit, and she wants to start a business and she wants to open up an account? 
She can't. With this bill, she would not be able to, no matter what. That's an interesting point. Yeah, I mean, and I think you're not the only parent that would, you know, have some concerns about their child not being able to access uh, social media. And so it's interesting. You know, I did a little research before we started today and saw that, you know, these bills have been uh, actually passed in two different states, Utah first and then Ohio. Um, Right now in Utah, um, it it, it seems to be um, pending. I I think it's it's coming into effect soon. And I'm going to do a little bit more more research to see exactly where they are in the pushback. I saw in Ohio, even with um, an amendment that would be required for this bill, which would be a parent giving authorization, it seems like in Ohio, this bill has been struck down by the courts. And so um, I, I read an article recently, Governor DeSantis showing some concern about this bill. I'll tell you, Greg, one of the things that I've really appreciated about Governor DeSantis is the fact that he likes to do things properly um, and use the correct levers of government and to make sure that, you know, we're not doing things in a haphazard manner where they are going to get slapped down by the courts. You know, during COVID, for example, and, you know, securing our parental rights, it, it may have taken a little bit longer than I would have liked in general, just as an impatient mama for um, and a school board member <laughs> during part of that. Um, but he certainly was able to um, go through the, the different uh, levers of power and the different processes that he need to, in, to ensure that our kids would be able to breathe freely in school and we wouldn't have mass quarantines and we would be able to secure our fundamental parental rights. And so um, I can understand his concern. And so is that something that's factoring into your mind? Do you feel uh, that this perhaps will be, be, be um, challenged in the court? I personally think so. I mean, at least it should. I mean, look, the intention is good by the by the speaker. Nobody's saying that he has bad intentions. I'm glad that he's trying to protect my daughter. I'm glad. But he's just going about it, I think, the wrong way. You know, it's just, it's good intention, but it's maybe bad policy. And sometimes that happens. There's a mismatch. Sure. And so let's dig into the bill for a, a minute. So you were sharing with me that there were some carve-outs in this bill for certain social media that wouldn't be included. Maybe you could give us a little bit uh, uh, more information about that. From my understanding, the language uh, actually facilitates this bill to carve out companies and platforms like Snapchat and YouTube. And I don't know if you're familiar with Snapchat. Yeah, I'd have to go back and look at YouTube, but Discord, yes, as well. Yeah. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. But the reason why I always mention Snapchat and YouTube is because particularly Snapchat is because I think most kids, those those are the two that most kids use, Snapchat and YouTube. And Snapchat is actually one of the favorite platforms for predators against kids. So in many ways, this bill could have an unintended consequence Mm. of wanting to protect kids, but at the same time funneling, you know, when a kid wants to open up an account, it's going to funnel them to Snapchat, which is really the main culprit. So it's going to kind of do the opposite of what the bill is trying to do. That's a really interesting point. So carve outs doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, some concerns no. about the constitutionality of the bill. I, I saw in Ohio, um, even though it did have that parental authorization, one of the things that was in the ruling, I think it said something that it violated the the, the free speech rights of minors. That's interesting. Um, you know, I, I at Moms for Liberty, we believe every parent has the fundamental right to direct the upbringing of their child. Um, you know, do your children have rights? Certainly. Are those rights ever incongruent with the rights of the parent? They are not, right? And so um, certainly it seems here you're saying that an amendment that would make for uh, make it possible for a parent to authorize um, a kid's use would be important. Um, would, that make, would that change your mind when it comes to this bill a little bit? Oh, absolutely. It would be a game changer. I think personally, if they were a little bit smarter with the bill and, and they made 
some sort of situation where people are where, where they go to the Apple store. You know, it's only two of them, right? It's with it's Apple and, and Android. But when you go to the Apple store and you're going to create an account right then and there, they should ask. They should have some sort of parental consent where a parent can give permission right then and there. That would actually fix the problem. And we wouldn't have to do, you know, a, a verification per platform with a specific app. And that's going to also create a slippery slope where who's going to be collecting this information? What apps are going to be created? What companies are going to be created in order to, you know, service uh, each of each and one of these platforms? Where is that information going to be stored? Remember, one of the issues that we have with social media is the, co the, the information that it's being collected. So this is going to create a situation where more information is going to be is going to be collected. So well. you've been asking these questions. You're concerned, obviously. You have some great questions. You know, I always tell our moms when you're looking at legislation that's being proposed, you don't have to have all the answers. You can have an opinion about right. how you feel about it, but it's really important to contact your legislator and ask them questions about whether or not they'll be supporting it, what they understand the bill to say. Um, and so, tell me a little bit about what that process has been like for you as a, a new Floridian uh, working with legislators. Have you been able to share? your concerns with them and what's what's their feedback been like absolutely absolutely i mean I, i'm not a new floridian by the way i've been here since 2003 oh, you've been so here I a long time oh all right yeah. okay yeah. okay sorry I'm originally about that from new york, originally from new york city but i moved here in 2003 and the reason why i moved from new york city was to try to escape the very policies that they're trying to sure. pass here so they're they're, it, they're importing you know the the california and new york city policies. you didn't bring them with you did you okay. no that i hope not for sure. Um, but yes, listen, it's, every single elected official that I've heard of, whether it be a Senate, a senator, you know, Marco Rubio, uh, Rick Scott, they're all against the bill uh, when it comes to parental rights. Mm -hmm. That's really their main concern. It's about the parent. Mm -hmm. uh, every other elected official that I have heard of is also, you know, concerned about that as well. But remember, everybody also has to be cognizant that the speaker or whoever's trying to pass this bill is for a good intention. They're, it's good intention. Right? Well, it's for a good well, reason. You know what they say about good intention sometimes, right? Uh, that, that, that expression that they can pave the road to hell. So um, the truth of the, yeah, go. thank you. So the truth of the matter is that I think we're all grappling with this issue of social right. media and our children being on it. You know, I, I, I'll tell you, Greg, I was up in uh, Washington, D.C. I was doing some work up there and um, attended a press conference. They asked me to speak uh, at a heritage press conference to ban TikTok. And I said, you know, listen, you, you know, don't, you don't need to wait for the government to ban TikTok. You can ban TikTok. You can say no TikTok on that phone if I own it, child, right? And, and if you do it and I do it, and then none of the kids are on TikTok, then it won't be as attractive to them and we won't be so mean, um, right? It will be mean or at least mean together. So, um, you know, I think parents are thinking about the, um, the different uh, effects that social media can have on their children. And we're grappling Absolutely. with that as a country. I also understand that there are a lot of parents that are not concerned about it for one reason or another, or would like their children to be on it. And they feel that they're able to be a part of it in a way that makes them comfortable. And so um, I think when you when, when we really get down to the heart of the matter, Greg, I think your op-ed struck a really good chord talking about how you know we need to lead from a place of parental rights. And um, I think your feedback, hopefully you have some legislators that are listening uh, who will possibly uh, amend this bill. So what's the next step? This is in the, this is sponsored by Senator Aaron Grawl. Um, it, it's sponsored in the Senate. Um, what, what is the next step for, for this legislation? Well, I mean, hopefully the next step is just either death or, you know, some modification. 
you know, for it to cut, to come back to the house or something and to, and to, for, for it to be, to, for them to create a much better bill, something that's actually going to pass. There's going to be a pathway and it's actually going to protect kids instead of having unintended consequences as the current bill has. So that's what I'm hoping for. I'm going to make as much noise as I can uh, in order for every elected official that, that, that can hear and listen, uh, you know, listens to us, to myself, not just an, as an entrepreneur, but also as a dad uh, of an sure. eight-year-old um, that is getting very close to that age where she's going to want to start opening up these accounts. Uh, but again, as I said, I want it to be my decision. I don't want it to be the state's decision. No, and I think we can all respect that. So, you know, kudos to Speaker Renner, HB1, um, in trying yes. to do something to address this, this social media issue that we have. And, and really, you know, the kids are not okay in America, and we're trying to figure out why is that, right? What What is happening right now, and how can we help them uh, to um, have a, a better quality life? And so while we you appreciate the effort, I, I hear your concerns. I think you're not alone in that. I think there are other parents that have concerns as well. Um, so people, if you're listening, Floridians, if you're listening, but watch for this bill in your state. You know, there you've heard us have a, an interesting discussion about, um, you know, some different steps that are being taken. As I said, Utah, Ohio, you have it here in Florida. I would imagine uh, there will be other states that will be addressing this issue as well. And so that parental uh, authorization piece is really important in order to safeguard parental rights. And uh, if you want to talk to your legislator here in Florida about it, again, that's HB1. Uh, contact your legislator and uh, let and Aaron Grawl uh, is the sponsor in the Senate and that's SB 1788 and you know Aaron is always really great about taking feedback from people and she's a, a staunch champion of parental rights and so it'll be interesting to see um, as she uh, I think it has one uh, committee stop to go um, and so we'll see what happens with that bill in, in the Senate um, Greg thank you for joining us today I really um, I'm happy that we're neighbors in this beautiful state and uh, I really appreciate you speaking out as a, a strong dad in, in protection of parental rights. Thank you for having me, Tiffany. Absolutely. So we just heard from a dad who discussed a little bit about um, this so this idea of banning social media for kids. And um, we talked a little bit about um, the fact that these, this, these laws have been proposed in other places and that the court system has uh, not been thrilled uh, with uh, these uh, bills that have come through. And we've seen some different uh, courts that have said that perhaps these bills are unconstitutional in one way or another. And so I thought we would do a deeper dive with uh, a policy expert. So I'm going to welcome now James Chernowski. Uh, James is a senior policy analyst at Americans for Prosperity. And I said to him before we started, I'm not exactly sure I understand completely what a policy analyst does and then specifically what he does. Um, so James, welcome to the Joyful Warrior podcast. Podcast. And if you could just uh, give us a, a little intro, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Tiffany. So uh, as you mentioned, I'm a senior policy analyst at, for tech and innovation with Americans for Prosperity. And I focus on all those issues that pop up both on the federal and state level. So basically what I end up doing every single day is I'm reading a lot of legislative text, uh, basically that these state and federal lawmakers are contemplating uh, anywhere that it has an implication with tech. So that could be something as novel uh, and emerging as artificial intelligence to things that are as uh, fundamental and basic like broadband and getting us connected to the internet to even host this podcast, uh, more broadly speaking. So there's a wide range of issues that I kind of cover in this role, but it's reading a lot of legislative text. It's reading the latest research that's out there by academics and being able to form an opinion about how we as an organization are going to engage on that. So for us, it's about how do we go and empower people and the private sector 
to, you know, remove barriers that, you know, prevent them from basically having the best possible opportunities available to them. And that's a very fun position to be in. I get to really have some amazing conversations with individuals, parents, lawmakers. Um, you know, it's really been a true pleasure to get to go and do that kind of stuff for the last few years now with AFP. So that's wonderful. And so you know, and better than anyone, that this idea of social media, how is it impacting our kids and our families, right? Is it good for kids? Is it bad for kids? Who gets to decide? You know, for Moms for Liberty, we are a parental rights organization. And so parents, we believe that parents have the fundamental right to direct the upbringing of their child. That includes their education, their medical care, their morality, their religion. Uh, parents don't have the right to abuse their children. Um, but we certainly do believe that the law is on the side of the parent uh, and those fundamental rights whenever we're dealing with any kind of question about the role of the state in our lives as Americans. Um, but often there are some well-intentioned laws that are proposed in different places. And, you know, I, again, this, this idea of HB1 in Florida, a social media uh, ban for, for kids 16 and under or under 16, excuse me, um, you know, I think well-intentioned in, in the thought of social media, there are some real questions, right? The kids are not okay. And there are some real questions about the impacts of social media on children. But when it comes to this bill, there are some carve outs um, about certain social media. And I really wanted to get a, a, a bigger picture, honestly, because our own chapters in Florida have been struggling with this issue and where they stand, where we stand as an organization, where they stand as parents. Um, but this isn't the first time this has been debated or, or the last, is it? No, you're absolutely right, Tiffany. This is not the first time that this kind of subject has been broached, and it certainly isn't the last. And it's actually a bipartisan thing in many ways, where you have blue states like California and New York trying to tackle this, and red states like Utah, which is no no uh, liberal state by any stretch of the definition, very staunchly conservative, uh, and Florida also looking at tackling these kinds of issues too. Um, they come at it from slightly different approaches, but at the end of the day, there are still, you know, while well-intentioned, as you kind of highlighted there, um, there are some r very real concerns that kind of get, you know, I think brought to the forefront when you're seeing what's going on here. I think to kind of like address your your points at the outset, um, when we're looking at the data on social media and, and its impact on youth and the mental health statistics around youth, more broadly speaking, you know, it's complicated is, is where it kind of comes down because there's studies that go and say that it does have a negative impact. There are recent studies that go and say that it does have a positive impact for kids. And I think that actually certainly bore out during the pandemic when we had all of our kids locked up for two years straight, uh, where you basically had, you know, social media was the way that they could go and remain connected and have a sense of community and whatnot. So um, it's not all bad, despite what everybody on the interwebs would like everybody to believe. Um, but it's, you know, I can certainly understand why people are very deeply concerned about it. Um, and, and at the end of the day, I think that there are some pretty core issues that pop up with these bills. Um, as you kind of mentioned with Florida's, they do have carve outs and the way that it's carved out in such manner, it basically goes and exempts the very companies that the youth are engaged with most right now, whether that's Snapchat or Discord or YouTube or TikTok, uh, which has all the youths on it, it feels like. Um, you know, a little bit of everything, but those are all carved out from the bill. Um, and I would say more importantly, I think the, the thing that's kind of crazy about this bill, which other ones have tried to replicate in some rhyme or fashion is, um, you know, they had a de facto ban on, on teens that are under the age of 16 from being able to use social media, uh, altogether. Um, and that seems like that's a, a stretch too far. And I think I can appreciate your guys' work as an organization and, and what you guys are doing. My mom was certainly a big advocate for having a lot of control over, you know, how I was brought up and how I was interacting with technology over the years. 
Um, it was a fun point of uh, tension, I think. But, you know, I think it, it's it's important, you know, that parents are involved in this space, you know. A hundred percent. But James, so then I'll tell you. So I, I interview, we're going to play, you know, we're, you and I are speaking now, but I interviewed a dad and I'm going to play that interview um, on this podcast. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, what he said was he feels like it's it should be his decision. He moved from New York to Florida. He, um, you know, wants very much to have his parental rights respected. He said that he felt that he was trying to raise entrepreneurs in his Mm -hmm. home and that his child, he didn't want his child not being able to access social media because he felt like it was an important aspect of um, capitalism and Mm -hmm. and that he wanted them to kind of understand how to navigate and to be an entrepreneur. And so um, I thought that was a pretty valid concern because it's an outright ban. So let's talk about that for a second, because I know in other states, uh, in Utah and Ohio, um, mm-hmm. there were actually um, parts of the bills that said that it, it, parental authorization would then allow the, the child to be able to use social media. And, and mm-hmm. this dad said, wow, if that was part of the Florida bill, that's something that he would be willing to support then. So, but the court system, the court's still struck down these bills or are still kind of dealing with these bills. Certainly in Ohio, I know the court did strike down the bill and cited yep. First Amendment uh, free speech rights of children, which I've been, which has led me down a different rabbit hole. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, for, for the longest time, going back to the original debate around kids online um, with the Kids Online Privacy Act, COPPA, uh, back in the day, um, you know, that got struck down by the Supreme Court ultimately because the court did find that kids still do have First Amendment rights um, and that the government's approach when that original bill was getting taken up um, was actually overly restrictive. They did not abide by a least restrictive means approach. Um, at the end of the day, we all kind of share the same Internet. And it's not like we can have an Internet for kids and an Internet for adults, if you will. Um, and the easiest way to accomplish that goal, if that's what we're trying to do, is to have that made that decision made locally at the parents level where an ISP can go and help you set up controls for what's going on within your home. Um, or even by extension, um, we'll see some proposals that try to t- touch on this where it's about you know controlling what you can access at school um, within the school property, like if they gave you laptops or things of that nature. Um, so that's a different kind of conversation. But yeah, the courts have actually, whether it was in Arkansas or, or in Ohio, um, or California, which also had similar kinds of bills. They all, all these bills had injunctions placed on them on First Amendment grounds. Um, what had been decided basically is you have a 13 year old uh, level for you know kids that's set up. That's because of the remaining uh, COPPA legislation that is there. Um, 13 years old to go and have a social media. Why don't you stop for, James, why don't you just give us, because, you know, I I don't like to assume that anyone, everyone's coming to the table with different knowledge and information. So why don't you talk about that for a second and explain what what you're, the the case that you're speaking of. Yeah. So the Kids Online, uh, um, the Kids Online Privacy Protection Act, COPPA, uh, basically governs how websites have to collect information about minors and children. Um, So that age that was set for that was that if you were under 13, they couldn't go and do anything about that. And you would have to go and verify your age um, in order to go and sign up for a social media like website, right? And that was just simply the the consensus was that when you sign up for a Facebook account, you input your your date of birth on there. Um, and that was how you would go and self-certify um, because there was an, an actual knowledge standard that was being applied. So that's been the, um, the common sense consensus around 13. Um, Normally, as you as you've kind of noted there, like kids don't necessarily get the same degree of First Amendment protections as like a 
fully fledged adults, or rather, I should say, the same degree of rights um, as a as an adult because they don't necessarily have um, you know the cognitive development and whatnot. But once they hit that thirteen threshold and they're becoming a teenager and a young adult, um, you know that that's when they start. Uh, I think that was like the kind of consensus where people realized that you could actually. Um, they could have their own interests at heart too, and that might not always line up with parents. Um, so that certainly creates a tension there. But it's because of that kind of stuff um, that you end up seeing the court striking down many of these proposals on First Amendment grounds because it's you have a right to access and still go and see uh, information. And even though the states try to go and say that it's not about content that's on the internet, more broadly speaking, because there's plenty of bad stuff out there. Um, when they're going and trying to defend these laws in courts, they're often citing content and the courts have repeatedly found that you can't go and take like these content based approaches um, to dealing with this kind of an issue here. So um, those First Amendment concerns are certainly valid. Um, and that's why it requires a little bit more nuance when we're talking about how do we go and, and solve this issue here. And until lawmakers, you know, stop trying to put this focus on doing the age verification and some of these harder um, kind of proposals that are out there, I think that you're, we're going to continue to see the courts strike them down. Um, and that's not very helpful. That's a that's a waste of taxpayer dollars, ultimately, because these things are very expensive to litigate. Absolutely. Yeah. So you bring up some really interesting points. You talked to me a little bit about age verification before we started. Mm -hmm. If you could maybe talk a little bit about how difficult. Yeah. So you're talking about with um, the, the child, the Online Protection Act, the Kids Online Protection you know, yeah. you had to self-certify and say you had to input your age and then you would, you know, in, and you're, but you're basically saying this is how old I am, right? Um, yep. But how difficult, I mean, what does it actually look like to do age certification? Can you, how is this yeah. bill implemented? Yeah, well, because of the liability that are typically in these bills that platforms would be exposed to for non-compliance, if I'm, if I'm meta, right, and I, and I need to go and abide by this Florida law, what I would end up doing to protect myself to be in compliance is I would basically require a hard, uh, basically identifier of an individual to confirm that they are who they say they are. So if it was an adult, it's a driver's license. If it's a kid, because most kids don't have a driver's license or even a learner's permit until they're at least 15 years old on average, uh, that means that you have to go with something that's even more sensitive, like your social security number. That's very private, very sensitive information uh, that we don't want to be encouraging companies to have to collect on our children, uh, let alone adults. <laughs> that, that certainly presents some unique issues there. Um, and so that's the, that's the primary method that companies are going to employ to be compliant with the law because they don't want to go and chance it with a, a technology that could be wrong. Alternatively, if they weren't doing that, um, like California, they do age assurance. That means that you're relying on an imperfect technology like a facial scan which I think parents would be even more alarmed by because now they're saying plop your kid's face in front of a camera and let them go and take a facial scan of your child and estimate his age to determine whether or not he can get onto a social media platform. And that just sounds very creepy just, and I don't think it's It sounds like there are, it's creating all of these other really concerning issues when we're just trying to protect yeah. kids, but we may be making them, what, more vulnerable? Oh, 100%. I think actually the one aspect of this that makes it really bad is, is a couple of things. So either A, you go down that hard path and that creates actually a unique cybersecurity risk because whether it's collected by the platforms themselves or a third party, uh, malactors will know that this very sensitive information is going to get collected and then go and engage in malware attacks on these uh, third parties or the platforms themselves and try to get that sensitive information and then do like really bad stuff like identity theft, which will go and wreck a person's life uh, and they might not even know. 
right? So I think that um, that that certainly is a very real risk there. Alternatively, there was reporting not too long ago about a website, and I don't believe it's U.S. based. Um, but what it was doing, and this is something that I remember talking to legislators in Utah about back when, is that you it created a black market for fake IDs. Oh uh, and there is a website out there that can go and create a fake ID. Uh, and it's very cheap and affordable to go and do that. And it will pass an online verification. Uh, no problem, right? Because it's a, it, it passes. It's a very authentic looking like California driver's license or New York driver's license. Um, so again, it just makes it really, really difficult in order to understand, you know, is this person who they say they are? And then the added thing that makes it difficult because of the parental consent aspect that you were talking about before is that now, what happens if you have like a divorced parent and mom has a different last name than the kid and mom's okay and that's the person that they're going to use for, uh, you know, getting them onto social media under the, the law here uh, in Florida? How are they going to know that mom is in fact the mom of the kid when they have different names, right? What are they going to do? Need a 23andMe test to go and show the genealogical ties between the two of them? Uh, no, that's not that's not realistic. That's not practical, right? So. Um, again, there's just very practical and, and easily identifiable issues that come with trying to force this verification of one's identity on the internet. And I guess the last thing I'll raise is that it does present a free speech concern for everybody. Okay. Because if we have to link your online presence to your to your actual identity, Tiffany's Twitter profile is definitely Tiffany. I can tell you that presents all kinds of chilling effects, especially in an age where, you know, we're worried about the government, you know, pressuring these same platforms to go and take down content they don't like. Well, if we know who the dissident is, um, you know, now all of a sudden we can go and target that individual. I mean, this was certainly something that Raya Chapik had to go and uh, kind of experience firsthand when her account got doxxed yeah. when, you know, for, uh, for lips of TikTok, right? So um, very, very strong problems there. And more Importantly, like think about China, Russia, Iran, um, these foreign adversaries that, you know, are certainly interested in knowing the identities of who is being critical of the regime and what they might do to people. So it has a chilling effect on your willingness to go and express as yourself a, online. And someone who has been named as a domestic terrorist and part of a hate group, I, I can tell you that, you know, you bring up some very interesting points, right? How the government wants to try to... Um, use their ability to identify you online to, to, you know, use that against you. So that's very interesting. Any, any right you had to anonymous speech rights would be wiped away. And that's really yeah. concerning. So James, well-intentioned bills in some ways, right? So you look at the, yeah. you know, people are looking at this issue and they're trying to come up with solutions. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I, um, I, I applaud the effort and the, and the willingness to take on such a, a big issue because we all are, you know, concerned. And I'll say as a mom of four, some of my kids do better with these types of, of interactions than the other. But I really don't know that I want the government telling me, you know, when my kid wants to start a, a business and do online advertising or something that somehow he shouldn't be allowed to do that. Um, yeah. So uh, advice in the future. Uh, first of all, I want to say I'm so excited to have you on. This has been great. And there are so many other issues and like different things that are happening um, with uh, technology and kids and, um, yeah. you know, ed tech. And so I'd love to have you on again to kind of yeah. dive in on some of these different issues. And then in parting, because I don't want to be like doom and gloom and, and give, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm taking this bill and ripping it apart. It's not my intention, but I want good policy that will make lasting change and that really does, you know, pass uh, the tests of limited government and, and protection of our fundamental rights. So, um, yeah. James, advice for policymakers on this issue? 
Yeah, I think that actually Florida did something that was trying to tackle this very issue just last year. They passed a bill that was actually requiring education for students on social media literacy, more broadly speaking. That would go and help them understand the downsides of social media use, um, as well as how to be a better digital citizen. I think that that can't be understated enough in terms of trying to go and engage with our children and make them better digital citizens. There are great resources available online from groups like the Family Online Safety Institute and others that can go and gladly uh, connect parents with resources to better tailor their children's online experience, right? So um, I think that it's stuff like that. Um, on the other side of the uh, uh, issue here, you have in Utah, actually, um, Governor Cox has a public service, you know, kind of campaign for talking about social media and how to, you know, equip parents with these tools, right? So I think that there are things the government can do that are not telling parents like, or rather getting into the home and co-parenting with your child, being the literal nanny state, if you will. Um, and I think that that's the kind of stuff that you want to be pursuing, right? On the flip side, you know, I've told this to companies before when I've seen them and uh, I think that it's really just an unfortunate thing, but you have to go and invest on the ground with these these parents that are, you know, typically offline. Like I know Meta does, uh, you know, advertisements for the parental controls on Instagram and whatnot. Um, uh, sorry, for Instagram, let's say on LinkedIn. But the reality is, is that the parents that probably want these kinds of controls might not necessarily be looking at LinkedIn all that often, right? So it, it requires a little bit more boots on the ground investment and partnering with local communities to kind of better educate parents about what tools are at their disposal when it comes to the platforms themselves or on the devices if we're looking at Apple, right? Because Apple certainly has plenty of um, apps that you can go and download that are complementary to this or on the flip side, even just directly on the device itself. It also has parental controls. So I would say focus on the digital education for students is like the biggest thing that you can do that is constitutional. It won't land you in court, promise. Um, and then, like I said, doing public awareness campaigns and then the company is trying to go and partner up with local organizations to kind of help these parents navigate these controls. Because I understand it's not always easy um, to, to figure out what controls do what and how to kind of get the desired outcome that you're looking for here. A hundred percent. And so when I was uh, in Washington, I was up there and I did a press conference with Heritage Foundation and it was around banning TikTok. And I got up mm -hmm. and I said, you know, don't wait for the government to ban TikTok parents. You can do mm -hmm. that right now. You can take your child's phone and tell them to or you erase TikTok and say no more TikTok and it's done. And then if you do it and I do it and everybody does it, then we're not so mean anymore. We're just not allowing TikTok to be a part of our kids' lives, right? And the government doesn't need to police that for us. And whether or not they ban it, it's a whole nother podcast. Um, so James, remind us again, um, any resources, if parents are listening to this and they're saying, you know, I really do want to tighten up my kids' access to the internet. I'm concerned perhaps about what they're on or, or how they're um, navigating. Uh, parting words from you, sir, um, on uh, places to go for more info. Yeah, I would say, again, uh, the Family Online Safety Institute, FOSI, uh, they have a digital toolkit for parents to better understand what tools are at their disposal. Um, and again, even a simple Google search for Apple parental controls or meta parental controls um, will go and get you those immediate results from the platforms themselves or the device manufacturer uh, themselves. And then also the last thing I'll flag too is um, you can also do this on the ISP level because that was one of the things that, like I said, you can control as a parent. The ISP within your home can go and put on those kinds of controls and they can help you set that up um, too. So reach out to your ISP, whether it's Spectrum or Xfinity, you know, et cetera. They all have these kinds of resources available for parents. And I want to say it was um, uh, the American Enterprise Institute, I believe, that also has a, a toolkit on, on some of this stuff uh, for parents. 
So there's a lot of resources out there for you, but I would certainly recommend going to the Family Online Safety Institute's website. They have a great, great uh, digital citizen toolkit. And again, at the end of the day, parents need to parent and let's have those conversations with our kids about what's going to happen online and how you can help them navigate it better as best you can, because there's a lot of stuff out there. It's a very crazy world and, you know, they're going to see a lot of things. And I think just being present and being willing to have those conversations goes a long way. I know it helped me when I was having those conversations with my mom growing up. That's awesome advice, James. Thank you so much. So listeners, I hope this was inf informative for you today. If you have questions, uh, you know, uh, again, you can reach out to us and, and we'll try to answer them as we can. Um, but the bottom line is this, when you have these bills that are coming up in your state, reach out to legislators, talk to them, ask them questions, offer ideas and amendments. If you're a member of a Moms for Liberty chapter, then you're probably meeting with your legislative committee and you're discussing these bills and bringing them back to your chapter and, and talking about about what's the impact, what's the feedback that we want to have. Remember that bills um, change a lot through the process and there's a lot of opportunity to have your voice heard. So the biggest uh, takeaway for me in a lot of this is build relationships with those legislators and make sure you have your voice heard about things you're concerned about. Thank you, James, so much for joining us and tackling this big hairy issue of social media and banning for kids and all this stuff. Really appreciate your feedback and we look forward to having you on again. Thanks for having me. Thanks.